97X, the future of rock and roll. That was Brainiac. Before that, we heard from the Violent Femmes, and we got things uh, underway with Meat Beat Manifesto. Uh, something cool happening here at 97X, the future of rock and roll. Uh, we have our first website. It's www.woxy97x.com. And if you would like to email us, it's a real simple. Let's make sure you have a loaded ink pen, and let's write this email address down. WOXY97X at IX.netcom.com. So if you could uh, drop us an email, uh, we'll make a request, we'll get it back to you Dave, here from uh, 97X. Dave, yes. Dave, uh, sorry, Damien yeah. here. Uh, I hate to interrupt your reverie. Yeah. I, I did write down that email address, and I'll be sending you one through, through my hotmail. But yeah. uh, I'm sorry, my friend, you think you're still on the air at 97X, but that went yeah. off the air in 2004. But then yeah. the station did live on in, in, in you know an online form, woxy.com. But, well, I'm going to let these other gentlemen tell you what happened next. Uh, we have Joe Long, Brian Neese, Brian J. Miller, Shiv, and Mike Taylor joining us to talk about woxy.com. Welcome, gents. Hey. Hello, hello, hello. Howdy. Hello. So, so you guys were the core that moved uh, from Longworth Hall to Austin. Is that correct? It's uh, pretty much uh, everyone here. Yeah, and also yeah. Paige McGuire, who I guess we uh, may maybe didn't uh, think to connect with for this. But she's she has moved on. She's living in the Catskills these days and uh doing real well but uh yeah we're the we're the core well you know what it's funny you mentioned the the move down to austin which was great and chevy and i still live down here but in the woxy.com lifeline that was just a very small you know section of uh, of our time together uh our austin experience was um far uh, far shorter than any of us uh, had had imagined um, you know, but we did have uh, a number, geez, over over five years in Longworth Hall, and uh, some great, great uh, memories with uh, with all these guys. Brian J, if you could kind of talk about ninety or ninety seven X signed off in two thousand and four, and then there was a, a slight gap. Things were kind of iffy whether it would go on online form. Could you tell us a little bit about that, and then how you wound up at Longworth? Yeah, so um, at the end when we signed off in 2004 there, you know, we did not have a deal in place like that was it when we signed off that day, we thought it was all over and, and we walked out and, and that was it. And uh, at the last minute, we had an investor show up um, who wanted to remain, uh, remain anonymous and they provided us with, with seed funding funding to get going. And so then at that point, we couldn't stay in the existing studio because that was included as part of the sale. And, and so we had to be out of there. So then it was a scramble to find a, a new place to broadcast from. There's just a lot of moving pieces. And um, so we, we found a place in Longworth Hall, downtown Cincinnati. Um, it was an old recording studio. I think some of the lore goes that, uh, what was the, there was, there was a band. Bl Blessed Union of Souls, I oh, believe yeah, you're looking yes, for. That, that's right, Blessed Union of Souls. <laughs> Re recorded one of their smash hits there um and anyway so but it was perfect because it was a recording studio and really we we needed a quiet space for the on-air broadcast but the side benefit of that which i don't know if we really knew the 
impact of that at the time was we had a full-on recording studio so we could do all of these wonderful lounge acts uh, in you know studio sessions so um what what was the date that we signed back on does anybody remember it was june i believe june or july it was a couple, um, it was a couple months yeah, I think yeah, it was July. We, July. We were down a couple months and we spent a lot of time trying to digitize music because, you know, the one thing that I don't know that, you know, maybe maybe the listeners of the podcast won't be aware, but, you know, during the FM years of 97X, we were live in person 24-7 without any form of automation whatsoever. Like that was pretty unusual, you know, even at that point for, for radio, but we, you know, just didn't have uh, those kind of facilities. So we were always live and on the air. Well, when we made that transition to the dot-com, it was, oh, how are we going to handle this? With, like, there's no way we were gonna stay staffed 24 hours a day, it wouldn't have made sense. Um, and so we had to find an automation system that would work. And we had to take, you know, 10,000 CDs in the, that library and figure out what we were going to try to rip into the system so that we would have a, a, a place where we could do live shifts and put our playlist together for them, but then run it all night long without anyone being there. So that was quite a hurdle uh, that we had to overcome really, really fast if we were gonna get back on the air. I feel like for a, for a few weeks there, literally it was, hey, welcome back, we're gonna be moving. All right, so now everyone's gonna sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day and you're all just gonna rip CDs. And, and no judge, you know, not to, I, we were in a very odd situation where for at least the beginning of that time, we were still in the old building while Matt Sledge was on the air, sort of, um, in the old studio booth doing the station that replaced us on the dial. And then we were going through the piles of CDs and all of that stuff in the other rooms and trying to digitize things. I was a I was a bizarre moment. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> we we did come we did come back to uh, to to Oxford for for a month or two. Um, you know the walls were stripped down. You know it, it almost looked like you know there were it was pre demolition. You know uh, yep. you know co College Corner Pike. You know location until we were able to get down to uh, Longworth Hall, and then it was. Um, you know, fill up whatever moving bands we could, stuff it in the back seat of your car, and uh, and head on down there. And and honest to goodness, I think when we took the last load of gear out of Oxford, I don't think I've been back since. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I still lived there for a few uh, for a few months, I guess, and drove back and forth from Oxford to Longworth Hall. Um, but then I moved down closer as well. Well, well, Brian and Joe, how did you guys then get involved with these ne'er-do-wells? I, I got involved when they started having uh, 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 bands come in to do lounge acts, as, as Brian Jed mentioned earlier. And, and uh, I think they had formerly worked with uh, some people at Ultra Suede for the, the Studio X stuff. And I was working there and working with John Curley and Dave Davis, who had, who had helped out in the past. And they thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity for a young kid to get involved and uh thank goodness they did 
And so I came in and started doing the, it was like a, you know, I was a freelancer. So I was in there a couple of days a week whenever they had a band in and um, got to set that up and meet so many great bands. And it's, it, it, you know, it's a dream, dream come true for a while, you know? Yeah. Dave, I, I remember talking to Dave because we had a good relationship with him and I, and I said, Hey, we like, I've been mixing these, but I can't keep mixing these. And, and he's like, I know just the guy. He's really, he's really brilliant and he'll do a great job. And that's how we got connected with Brian. And then Joe Long, how did you get? Yeah. In? You know, fast forward a little bit, right. To another potential graveyard and uh, shut down that, actually was Barb's exit from the station and um, the lala.com days began and Shiv and Mike were in there doing everything all the time. What were you guys doing? Like eight hour shifts or something crazy? <laughs> I, don't, uh, I do remember <laughs> that we were splitting the day. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Wow. That's kind of a blur to me, it, to be honest, but I yeah, that's why. when, yeah, Barb. Uh, Barb left to go to Minnesota to work at the Current, and we desperately needed help. Yep. So desperate that I got involved as the music blogger. Uh, you know, which was is also such a high profile thing. It was early two thousands. Actually, um, um, I don't. I, I don't recall that. I mean, actually, Joe, um, you were the perfect choice. You know, um, I, I'm so glad that you were, you know, uh, the addition to uh, to the team. Um, Thanks for saying that. Oh, I it, mean, it, it, it I changed mean my it. life in good ways. And, you know, but it was really like it was kind of crazy. And, you know, I won't go into the, all the details, but um, I remember walking back in, seeing you guys just doing it so much and being like, hey, how can I help? You know, eager music blogger guy. And um, you guys knew you needed help, but your hands were kind of tied as to how you could address it at the time. True. And so you're like, well, we got to run this up the flagpole. And I wrote a manifesto letter <laughs> of some sort um, <laughs> that ended up maybe helping. I don't know, but I remember Mike calling me and be like, look, listen, we had somebody lined up to come in because we wanted to get another female to come in, someone in the industry, but she bailed last minute. Oh, and, I completely yeah. forgot that. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. I was, and he's like, here's what I can offer you. And it's basically five to 10 in the evenings. And I'll never forget how you said this, Mike, because you said, um, we can teach you radio, but we can't teach you good taste. And we feel like you have good taste. <laughs> and that was 100% true. Like, Joe was a really good compliment to Mike's taste, my taste, and and then just the fact that he kind of took over and did the the futurist blog for us. I mean, I think that the the way that the dot com was presented, especially in that era, that you know, for for a skeleton crew, like we were really firing on all cylinders. I think that we did some of the best programming, uh, you know, that was that we could have possibly done and we were reaching listeners all around the world and um and it was an incredible experience what was that like because i was going to ask that question you know you could hardly get the signal in dartown you'd have to have your car wrapped in <laughs> aluminum foil and coal rain to get the station 
But now you got this platform where, you know, someone in Belarus could be requesting a song. I mean, what was yeah. that like? I mean, Dave, the most interesting thing about it to me was, I, I mean, I, I had a weird taste of it in the FM years because I was on the overnights. So I would get people emailing in from Australia and different places who were listening on the uh, that whopping like 24K real player stream in the, at that time. And, uh, you know, so I, I would hear from people in far-fung places um, on the overnight shifts of the FM. But then when we were broadcasting solely online and, you know, we kept a huge world map in the hallway and pinned when, you know, from where we would get emails from. And that thing was full of people from all over the place. And we had so many listeners in Brazil that we had liners made in Portuguese. So, you know, um, if, if that tells you anything about how it opened things up for us, um, you know, in a lot of ways, and in, in, in of course, musically. I mean, I think that we were able to have um, a broader spectrum of music on the air, too, because we were just appealing to people all over the place that we weren't just having, you know, we weren't just programming for um, a corner in southwestern Ohio. It was for people to listen all over the world. Go ahead, Mike. So, so when we um, went to the dot com, it was a conscious uh, decision to kind of broaden our, our musical scope and our playlist, be a little bit more album oriented. Uh, oddly enough, how the station was at the beginning, you know, in the 80s. Remember when you'd see those, you'd pick up those old vinyl tracks and you'd see seven, you know, tracks listed, you know, and you could write your uh, initials, you know, by when you played it. We went to a little bit more of an album based type of thing. Um, it broadened, um, you know, our musical scope. And in regards to musical selection, you know, when Barb was around, um, basically it was still just Chevy and myself, you know, going through the music. But when Joe uh, came in, Joe basically became almost an equal partner in regards to, you know, contributing to music listening and, um, you know, also kind of adding to the depth of our playlist. So when people would ask back in the day, it's like, well, how do you determine what gets into like heavy rotation? Well, I recall that though in those days, the, the ones that we played the heaviest, if they weren't just an obvious, hey, Radiohead, we're going to play that, you know. But anything else that we tended to really love and push were the type of records that all three of us really tended to really like and feel really strongly about. And I think that's what kind of gave us um, uh, a real unique uh, sound. Um, uh, yeah, to, to Chevy's point, I always thought it was pretty amazing in those couple of years that we would tend to get, uh, Woxie.com would tend to be lumped in in the same conversation with KEXP or KCRW. And you think about, you know, I, I've been out to KEXP. I mean, you're talking about, you know, David and Goliath, you know, in regards to the scope of uh, operations. So the fact that we were mentioned in the same breath, and, and probably the fact that people didn't know that we were such a tiny operation um, was really kind of, in retrospect, completely amazing. Well, I would say that that is somewhat analogous to uh, the station 97X. 
you know, like in Oxford, but, you know, like still had a, a core following within Cincinnati and Dayton. And then when you went online and made a concerted effort to broaden it, it you know, you still were the little station that could. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as, to Mike's point, it's like, not only were those other stations that we were being um, put in the same conversation with, you know, not only did they have like humongous operating budgets, thanks to listener drives and, um, you know, all of the funding that they had access to, but then they also had very large staffs of volunteers. And I mean, we definitely, you know, we always had interns and there were people who helped out. We, we had people who, who, you know, would, would still would come in and take stacks of CDs and, you know, uh, you know, try to help us find some, uh, gems in, in the, in the piles that would come into the station. But, um, we were doing a lot with very little, and that didn't matter whether it was the angel investors, uh, whether it was lala.com or whether, or eventually future sounds, you know, we, op- we were, we were very, very lucky to still be full-time paid employees with insurance. Um, you know, but there wasn't much, you know, that we didn't have, you know, huge p- amounts of money to, to be spending on things. So we, we operated lean and mean. Well, as a listener from the uh, dot com, I also would think you were a much bigger presentation. Besides, you know, the move to Austin and, and the layout, a lot because of that live from Studio X. You got some fantastic bands. Um, the audio is great. Uh, even now, if you search online, there's a lot of things on YouTube uh, that reflect that makes you think that wow, you know, you were up to a you know a KXP almost. I mean, look, that was great. I. It will forever be a highlight of my life, especially <laughs> after she passed away. That one of my final moments on the air was with Sharon Jones. It you was know, incredible. That was brought up by Brian and Joe and I think Mike and maybe even you in previous podcasts. That that moment. We well, just we just were so lucky. <laughs> it was eight thirty in the morning or something that, that she came in. She was a bad ass. She was great. She was great. And, you know, um, it was, uh, as fate would have it, also that year we had uh, Frightened Rabbit, you know, come in, you know, and, and Scott Hutchison, who um, yep. who passed passed away also. It was um, uh, unfortunate. But, yeah. I think so that was the, the, the next day, actually. I think it was, like, the next day that they came in. Oh, yeah. It was during that last, uh, yeah. last uh, what, what was in Austin, yeah. 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 I mean, like, look, there's there's – we had so many incredible bands come through over time, but that last, that last South by Southwest uh, was one of the best things that we ever did. And it's, it's really a shame. I mean, I, Brian's actually resurrected a few of those things, but you know, what the, the worst thing about it is we did some of the m- most incredible performances uh, of our history. And then we went off the air uh, days later uh, with, with out, really very much warning and so those things kind of got lost to the ether because a lot of them had not even been uploaded uh to the site um you know my my secret trick for y'all is that uh, most of the performances are still i don't understand how how it works but if you look on the internet archive the Wayback machine those lounge act performances can still be downloaded from that 
Um, the, the things that are missing are the ones that were only posted as Flash-based streams because Flash has died. Um, but all there were of the... A couple Im- that we couldn't... couldn't we weren't allowed to. Long. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Those, those were some good ones, too. Right. Some, uh, lost, some lost to the Ether ones. Yeah. So she, she, but, she, Incredible. You mentioned funding, so I want to turn things over to Brian Jay and talk about that. Yeah. So, so there were kind of three different rounds of funding, or if not more. Tell us. Yeah. So, worked. the the very first investor was was the one that we found in two thousand four. Uh, it was it was an individual, um, really strongly believed in what we were doing, um, and wanted to see it continue. And um, so, so that went through two thousand six. In 2006, we had made the decision that it just wasn't uh, like advertising wise, it just wasn't really working. So that was the big piece that was missing, like from a financial standpoint. Um, it like so the internet broadcast was great. We were doing things that we could never do before. We launched a second stream. We you know we had the Back to the Future stream, which was great. Waxy Holiday Mixer, like that was super cool. All that was great. Um, but the advertising piece was just really, really tough. And we leaned a little more in a you know, non-commercial direction. So like the advertising that we did have was a little more underwriting style, like it felt more like that. Um, and, and we looked at subscriptions and we, I mean, we looked at all kinds of stuff and that, even the subscriptions was really before any of that was feasible. And so we made the decision that you know we had runway and the money was going to run out at one point we didn't want to literally take it all the way to the end so we we, you know we decided okay we're going to wind this up in an orderly fashion we went off the air again with no deal at that point and again uh, lala.com shows up out of the woodwork uh, and wiley bill win shows up and uh, they they so lala.com was a streaming music service really before there was an Apple Music or and maybe even well, Spotify was around then. Well, it it was a CD trading service yes. that oh, then became originally. that then became like was it the first streaming? I mean, like it really was very ahead of its time. No, you got remember Rhapsody from back in like the oh, Ra- okay, Rhapsody. Yes. It was it was one of the very first. Yeah, they started out initially tr- trading CDs, so you could list your CD collection, and then somebody and you somebody else would do it, and you could say, "Okay, I'm going to send you the CD that I have. You get a credit, and then you can get a CD from somebody else's collection." So it was a way to do that, uh, and then a, a kind of Netflix ish in, in the beginning, and then they switched to a streaming model where you it wasn't a subscription, but you would pay ten cents to add a streaming song to your library then that you could stream as many times as you wanted. But again, this is years before anything. Um, but anyway, so they were in the music space and they, and I, you know, I think he saw what was happening with us and it was a good bit of publicity for them at the time. And, you know, it definitely was a little bit of startups are a weird place and it's really easy to get just kind of caught up in the tsunami of they are doing what they're doing and so it was always a struggle with them to i think keep keep true to what we were doing and kind of keep that pure in a way um but anyway so we so we so they bought us um uh at that point um i went to san francisco so then i was working out of san francisco out of their offices in palo alto um 
and managing that from there. Um, eventually they got bored with us or priorities shifted or, you know, startup uh, crazy town. And uh, they wanted to sell us. So again, we're facing yet another thing. Um, well, they had to, they had to get rid of us because Apple was going to buy them. Yeah. So eventually they stole to Apple. Um, that was after, you know, we had been um, sold. And then the third time we got, we were sold to Future Sounds, which was a subsidiary of Planetary Group. And then that's when the move to Austin happened. How long did they own us? Like in total, was it eight, 18 months, two years? I Future feel Sounds? like it was, it was really kind of almost two year chunks of each two one, years. sort of. Yeah. But whatever happened to Bill Wynn? Uh, so they, they sold Lala.com to Apple. He went off and, and launched Color. Color. Remember that, mm -hmm. which was also a really interesting concept, but way ahead of its time. Yeah, but I lost track of him after that. Well, and, no, no, no. But so then when, when that eventually shut down, there was all of this. That, that, that also got bought by Apple. Hmm. Um, but there was all this nasty, there was lawsuits at the end, people suing stuff for discrimination and and then he just kind of disappeared i i have not heard anything else um about mm. him interesting but when wow. when future sounds came in and they said okay we're gonna buy it we want to move the station or com to austin right that, and then that was not in the beginning of of that conversation necessarily they i mean they came in uh the conversation about moving to Austin happened because we had gone there successfully a few times to broadcast during South by Southwest. And so I think that that's, that conversation started happening of just like, oh, you know, if we were internet only, we can be based anywhere. We're going to have a lot more access to artists and live music if we go down there permanently. So how do we make this happen? Um, and I, I think that the, you know, the experiences we had down there um, during South By really kind of planted the seed for a more permanent move because um, even when Lala had us, uh, you know, I remember Brian Jay and I flew down, down here to uh, ostensibly look at possible sites. And the guy that was uh, our you know, agent here locally you know, took us to places that now in retrospect would have been way more than we ever would have, would have needed. Um, but you know, that never really panned out with Lala and there was a, a guy from Lala with us who I just think was just worried about, you know, the, the cost involved. Um, but it was a little, you know, almost kind of like a fact finding, um, you know, uh, trip, but one of the guys from future sounds, um, had some roots here in Austin. I think he went to UT, uh, you know, kind of a little bit more familiar with uh, the landscape. And so, um, when, when they acquired us, that was always still kind of a possibility and there was some talk of that uh, not long after they took us over but then it kind of quieted down and i thought that was pretty much pretty much the end of it and then i remember get literally getting an email on the 4th of july in 2009 that basically said we have closed a deal for a space in austin you need to be there on september the 1st september 1st yeah and um that was it and you know i've i've said lots of things over the years about future sounds 
Um, but and, and I still can I still feel angry at times about how things shook out. You know, I mean, it was a very disappointing thing. But at the end of the day, you know, I've had to let go of a lot of that anger in the sense that you know it brought me to a place that I've really loved living living in and i met the love of my life and I, you know i got married and settled down here and it's just like I, you know i i wouldn't have ended up here without them so you know it all worked out in the end i suppose um but you know there the the, the end of future sounds era was not great yeah and matter of fact i have a question um because I knew that there was a little bit that we found out in the last, oh, I don't know, four to six weeks that there was uh, trouble in trouble in River City, necessarily. Uh, you know, Brian, I'm curious to know, Brian J, how much you knew about uh, the uh, end of the line going into uh, that uh, week of South by. Uh, I I knew that they were working on additional funding. And I was part of that. I wasn't as, as involved. I mean, so so in the 2004 discussions, I was intimately involved. I was at the center of that. And and even the transaction to Lala, I was kind of at the center of that. I was always like one level removed from what was going on at Future Sounds. I mean, they would obviously share things with, with me, but I was not the one driving that forward. And so, I, you know, I got the information that it told me that the, the issue is that they ran it until the very end. I mean, they ran literally ran it into the ground at the very end. It was like, Hey, there's no money. Boom. Or like, bye-bye, like we're wrong. Rather well, than and the, we're not and the, able... you know, the big problem was, was that they were actually in Austin during South by Southwest, bringing everyone under the sun into the studios that we assumed and maybe, maybe some of it was them trying to get a last-ditch effort to get someone to buy it. But ultimately, we did all that work. We did 32 bands or something during the course of that South by Southwest. They flew back to Los Angeles and then told us on the fucking telephone that they were shutting us down and we're out of money. So the, there's that. The, the tricky thing... so. After that first two-year stint with our original investor, at that point, we were not a self-sustaining business. So, so the True. nature, so well, but so the nature of the relationship with whoever owns us is different now because they own us because they want something from us that is mm -hmm. not just a, a self-sustaining business. So you're you're at the whim of whatever this thing is that is not money that they want from you. And obviously with Lala, it was one thing with future sounds. It was another thing. And when they decide that what you're giving them, that is not money is no, either they don't want anymore or is no longer worth it. Th that's, that's when it, you know, you just kind of get into that cycle. And unfortunately after that, there, there was not another person in that chain. Yeah. It, it, it sure, it sure hurt at the, it sure hurt at the time. Um, we knew it was a possibility and, um, you know, I think we'd uh, you know, beaten the Reaper so many times in the last handful of years <laughs> leading up to that, that I think that uh, that was still, you know, um, in everybody's thoughts. But um, when it came down that they said, you know, look, there's no more money. Look, you know, time softens, uh, you know, most wounds. And, you know, I've certainly let, you know, things go 
about that. But, you know, to, to, to Brian's point, and seems to be a, a theme all throughout the Woxie.com um, history, is we didn't make any money. That's, yeah, that's what know, it boiled no down to. No, no one knew how to. That. Right. Yeah. What, what we needed was, sorry, what we needed was, I'm sorry, Joe, what, what, what every aspect, every uh, ownership group post FM sign off needed was the next Doug and Linda. And I don't think that any one of them, um, you know, good intentions, yes, but no one was ready to put the, equal amount of sweat equity into our operation that Doug and Linda did. And so ultimately, I think, because I remember I, I saw somebody uh, after that last South by after we did shut down, I remember seeing something online. Well, I saw those Waxy guys just hanging around at the show, you know, shooting the shit and drinking beer. If I was them, if I want to operate a business, I would have been, you know, doing this or that. Well, that may be a fair point, but you know what? That was never our job. You know, our job was to, you know, basically curate great programming you know we weren't business people i i certainly wasn't you know no, and, we were not. and no we were not um you know so i i do think at the end of the day that that's what really we missed um in the dot-com era was basically a doug and linda type to really take the bull by the horns and move it forward sorry what were you going to say joe yeah i was just going to add that the timing of things is really interesting as we look back now you know, the failed yeah. subscription model in an era when that was not the norm, which it is obviously at the norm now. Um, and everybody subscribes to everything a la carte now and doesn't think twice about it and even has things they're paying for that they don't use. And we, just, we were you just know, ahead so, of the curve in, in so true. many ways over that time. But I would also counter, though, that with everything that happened you know, with, with Spotify, you know, all of these services, all of these things, you know, we can, until we're blue in the face, we can talk about how, you know, human curated live programming is the best. But at the end, of, like, even if they hadn't spent all that money to relocate us to Austin and we had stayed put in Longworth Hall, I don't know how much longer it would have sustained itself beyond that i mean it, that could have kept it going a little bit longer um well, had yeah, we not done that thing, but who knows and the other big thing that we all felt big time during that era was the streaming costs and I, how yeah, you know brian jay went to dc <laughs> on yeah. our behalf to talk yeah. about that and that was a huge blow to what we were doing it was um the our first biggest expense was salary our second biggest expense was, uh, I, I believe, streaming. It was either streaming or music licensing. But I mean, those those yeah, were beer. killers. And, and beer, <laughs> Drug, drugs. Um, <laughs> but literally, the cost of all those things have come down now. Subscriptions are yeah. more. You know, I mean, it was just it, it, there was no business. It, it doesn't matter how much money you threw at it. There was there wasn't a business model really at that time. Um, to make it work, even like podcast advertising now and, and, and custom advertising inserted into streaming audio also is more of a thing now. So there's just there's a lot more now that just didn't exist back then. Yeah. No one knew no one knew what to do with us, because since, you know, initially I remember, you know, trying to have um, trying to sell advertising and we were in Cincinnati. And so you took those relationships from the FM and it was like the local Pepsi bottler 
that ran ads on the FM station initially did ads on the dot com, but it was like that didn't really make sense for them because it what like those people that we had those advertising relationships with, you know, now our target and our audience was was beyond the scope of what they who they were trying to reach. And I just don't think the balance ever was found. And you know, th those are a couple of good points there because if you if you call up a, an internet stream right now, what's the first thing you're going to hear? Streaming for this station is brought to you by you know whoever. And we never had that because yeah. it wasn't quite a thing at the time. Yeah. And, you know, th think about this. You know, um, basically, inhaler radio essentially kind of took our spot. Yep. You know, now they're WGUCHD3, but, but it's still all Cincinnati public media because, you know, GUC and VXU are now under one one organization. They didn't used to be when we were on VXUHD2. But now you basically see if you look, there's HD radios and cars uh, regular, you know, to uh, to new models. You'll even see if you pull up the radio ratings for any particular market, you'll see HD channels show up in in ratings. So, and, and um, I wonder if that for first, I mean, you know, not to go open up the door, but it's like that maybe for inhaler having their HD radio broadcast might actually make their streaming costs easier because there is that radio component, which you know we did have for a spell, but. Well, then we did it. Everyone has unlimited high-speed internet access on their phones yeah. and CarPlay in their car. Like literally, you can stream anything anywhere at any time for basically zero cost. Which again, it was also not a thing in 2010. And we would have yeah. people trying to do that back in the day without like great success most of the time. Yeah. Um, guys, we're going to have to wrap this up. Okay. Uh, but it's. I've learned more in this last 40 minutes about how far ahead of the curve you guys were. Um, but again, I, I'm looking at the screen, but people listening on this podcast, I can't think of a better group of people trying to do the best that know how to curate music, know how to try to do something that, I mean, for six years, I mean, that's something I didn't do and it's something you guys did. So, so, I mean, we appreciate that as well. And I, I really want to give a shout out to, to the, previously mentioned Paige McGuire who you know when we got into Austin she was already from you know from town she helped us with marketing she did on-air work uh, you know sh she was a essential part of the team um, that really you know, ju just helped us get to know our new home uh, because we were all coming and we're, we're, we're pretty blind uh, when we first got to town you know, you think about coming to Austin, it was, in retrospect, it was a blur. It was a blip, yeah. you know, uh, you know, but we did have some very good experiences here. I remember we had like a rollout party, a welcome to town party over at the Scoot Inn, which is here local, and that was very well um, represented. But I do think that um, once we got to town, there's some other folks in the uh, Austin media landscape uh, that didn't necessarily... Uh, wasn't really, weren't really too keen on all the attention that uh, these uh, carpetbaggers were, were, were getting, you know, coming in from out of town and, and getting some attention that they feel that they had otherwise um, had to their, uh, had to themselves. But um, uh, we had a terrific party at the, um, 
See home. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Um, yeah. See home. Yeah. That was amazing with, social scene. with broken social scene. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, from a, uh, almost a PR high point, um, that might've been it. You know, that was really a big deal. Um, that was a very cool experience. Yeah. It was a absolutely. big deal. Almost as big of a deal as when Brian J and I got in a truck with all of the station stuff and drove to Austin and stayed in 18,000 different places. And, and then Brian Neese and, and, bed, your, and your bed. bed. Sorry. Oh, you had I, my, I, you, you moved all of my apartment stuff in that truck as right. well. That's a whole podcast. It's its own thing. And yeah, but anyway, the experiences, even in the blip were in <laughs> retrospect, really amazing and unique. And I'm really grateful for the time. 97 X. If you're over 40 and you often go to huge music festivals, you may have found that they're actually not that fun. Standing all day, the heat, the crowds. What if I told you you could be at a concert and sit down? To solve this problem, we're introducing the first phase in virtual participation using drones. You had to be there. The absentee concert goer experience. We wanted to create something beautiful, functional, and durable and something that lives comfortably in your living room. And we did it. It was hard, but we're pretty good. And here's the kicker. When the show is over, you get a certificate signed by the festival organizers saying that you attended the show. Rumblings from the Big Bush.